Good morning. I've had the usual... Um, I wasn't ignoring you earlier, Garth. I was slow to respond. I had a usual uh, mid-winter sort of cold this week and uh, one of the consequences of that, of course, is that I you know, have a blocked ear and I, I just can't hear anything. I've aged about 40 years this week. Um, and <laughs> so, oh, I didn't hear that, so you're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen to the recording maybe later on the week, but um, yeah. And, and I've, you know, I was at the Wallabies game last night. That probably didn't help, but it was good to see the British walk home, their tail between their legs. <laughs> uh, but they're a loud lot. Uh, Matthew five, twenty-one to thirty. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you leave your sacrifice there at the altar go and be reconciled to that person then come and offer your sacrifice to God when you are on the way to court with your adversaries settle your differences quickly otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison and if that happens you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Don't believe the lie this morning that you can think whatever you like as long as you don't act it out. That you can think and think upon whatever you like as long as you don't act it out then there won't really be any consequences. It sort of just stays in this headspace of yours that no one else can really see into. Last week Rob spoke about Jesus fulfilling the law and we're going to look at that this week and over the next couple of weeks. Jesus teaches about the fulfilment of the law but we also know that Jesus lived out the fulfilment of the law. We see it in his life. And here he is not only dealing with teaching the fulfilment of the law but teaching the hypocrisy of the teachers of the, of the religious teachers and leaders of the time. From the Old Testament times to, to this time of Jesus it, it was common for religious leaders who wanted to put themselves on a pedestal to teach um, uh, loopholes to the, to the commandments of the law. 
that you would be able to, and we spoke about this last week, that you'd be able to do, there was ways around the law that you'd be able to tick off the appropriate boxes and say, wow, look at me. Look how good I am. I can achieve all these things. And this sort of teaching, this hypocrisy, it it teaches people self-righteousness. It's comparing lifestyle to lifestyle. It's, it's, it's saying that I can achieve so much. And it's telling people, look at me. Look what I have done. Well, man looks continually on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart and this morning God isn't interested in your self-righteousness. God isn't interested particularly with how much you do or how great you do it but he's interested in your heart and your attitude and your motives. He wants his righteousness, his character to be true of your life. He wants his heart pure and perfect to be true of your heart and your attitude and your motives to be pure and perfect in the things that you do. It was part of the purpose of the law originally to the Israelites that they would be reliant on a holy God to live a holy life. And this morning as we sit in Montmorency we are in the need just as the listeners surrounding Jesus at this time we are in the need of looking past the outward appearance and being much more concerned about what's going on inside because that's what God is concerned about. It's a personal message with a personal challenge. What does your heart look like this morning before God? We go on through the rest of this chapter and look at six points from the Old Testament law that Jesus brings up. And he deals with the, with the hypocrisy and the misinterpretation of, of scripture from the religious leaders. And he uses this phrase over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say to you this morning, uh, well, I am saying to you, but Jesus says, but I say to you. And he goes on, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. And he teaches with authority that amazes the people they've never heard it taught before like this, it says. He's not changing the law. He's not bringing in new law. He is fulfilling the law, teaching it to its fulfilment, its spirit, what it was actually originally given for. And so in verse 21, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
sorry, and verse 22. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Jesus is teaching there is no difference in God's eyes between murdering someone and being angry with someone. Both are subject to judgment. Do not murder is much more than just restraining yourself from killing someone, he's telling them. We also must restrain from the anger and restrain from the hatred that actually leads to murder, which is the external act. There are two different words translated uh, wrath or anger in the New Testament. One is thumos and it refers to that quick-tempered sort of anger, the, the one that you might um, take when someone cuts you off and you are listening to Light FM and the Christian songs are on and you are just all in a great space and then it was, what are you doing, Houston? That's the thumos, that's that quick-tempered anger. But the word Jesus is using here is another word um, and it's orgizo. It uh, refers to an ongoing, growing, building anger. Uh, uh, the, the, the sort of picture I sort of got in my mind during the week was um, the, the sort of the camps that we've had at Belgrave at Easter time and the boys' weekends away and you have those fires that sort of burn all day and then the flame goes down and it looks like the fire's out. But you see underneath the sort of ash and the coal, the intense heat. It is really hot. If you go close to that, it is really, really hot. It is smouldering and, and it doesn't take much for that to just a bit of fuel and it just woofs up. It's the same word that is found in Luke 15:28. Uh, when it's when uh, Jesus speaks of the prodigal son, and the prodigal son returns, and the older brother didn't have a quick-tempered anger when his brother came home and his dad killed the fattened calf. He had been angry since the time he left, and it had been building, and it had been smouldering, and it had been growing in him when he said, I'm not joining you, his anger was orgizo anger. It's the anger that grows and holds revenge as its main goal. You see, murder is just the physical, external act of an internal issue. And that internal issue of course is anger but of course the Pharisees dealt only with the external act because that was much easier to deal with that was much easier to teach that was much easier to hold um, themselves high and mighty and say look at us never murdered tick Jesus isn't interested in ticking boxes God's law goes beyond the external it looks deep into our hearts and our minds. Are we allowing anger to be ongoing and growing?
and to turn into bitterness. I hope not this morning because as I've discovered, you cannot continue to love God and love others, which is Jesus' summary of the law. You can't do that while harbouring and building this anger which Jesus speaks about. And so he goes on to say, continues in verse 22, if you call someone, uh, your version might have raka, uh, which means can be translated blockhead or idiot. Uh, there might be a number of translations. You are in danger of being brought before the court and if you curse someone or call them a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. In that time, that, that word raka was a, a slight insult. It was a slight insult on, on someone. And, and that time that could have landed you in the Sanhedrin, which, which was a local court. But if you were to curse someone, and at that time to say you fool was a real curse upon somebody's uh, uh, value, somebody's worth, and they would have understood that then you're in danger of the fires of hell, Jesus says. And so there's this judgement for what anger can actually lead you to be calling someone. Uh, The word hell that Jesus uses here comes from this Greek word Gehenna which is translated from Hebrew Hinnom and it was very common, they would have known all about what Jesus was actually saying. Uh, There was a place south of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. It was a terrible, terrible place. It was, in the older times, a place where uh, the people would sacrifice not only animals but, um, sadly, children to gods like Baal. And it was a continuous fire, a place where a a fire just continually burned and burned and burned and burned. And, it, and in this time, it was the rubbish dump of society. The fire in this valley continually burns and burns and burns. It's where the butchers put their carcasses uh, when they're finished with them on the fire and it burns. People take their rubbish and they put it in the valley of Hinnom and it burns and this fire just continually burns. And this picture that Jesus is painting to these people, they would have known straight away, don't let your life, this is where your life will end up, on the lowest of lowest places of society in this dump, the valley of Hinnom, hell. Matthew refers to this place 11 times through his gospel, another couple more times later on in the passage we're looking at this morning. Murder and anger equal judgment, Jesus says. Anger can lead you to calling your brother Raka. This might find you in the local court. Cursing someone, devaluing them, bringing them down, not really placing worth or value on someone is also really an insult to God. He created them. Do this. And you might find yourselves in the lowest of lowest places, the valley of Hinnom where the 
rubbish of society, the rubbish dump. What are we doing when facing this sort of anger in our lives? What, how are we dealing with this in our lives? What is Jesus' response to dealing with this type of anger? I think it's quite clear Jesus wants us instantly to do something about it. Don't leave it, don't let it go, do something about it. Verse 23 and 24 So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. It's more important to bring reconciliation between you and someone else than it is to be sitting here this morning on a Sunday morning. Jesus places priority on your internal purity than he does on your external act of worship. We know how important it is to be here on a Sunday morning and to partake in communion and to sing worship to God and to join in prayer and to come under his teaching and to make our offerings we know how important that is, then just how important is it and that Jesus says, leave it. Go and be reconciled. Massive importance on not coming to worship God when there's ill feeling and this anger in a relationship. Psalmist says in 66 verse 18 when speaking of bringing a sacrifice and worship to God if I had not confessed the sin in my heart the Lord would not have listened. You will never be able to truly worship God and experience the work of the Holy Spirit if there is ill feeling and this disruption because of anger and something's been said perhaps in a relationship you have. You call someone Raka, you curse someone and then you come here on a Sunday morning. Uh-uh. You sit here and you think, oh dear, I've offended that person. What to do next? It's damaged our relationship. What to do next? I tell you what to do next and I haven't passed this by the elders but step one, get out of the church straight away. Not out of the church, I just mean get out of the church that Sunday. If, if you come here and this really is important and this is what Jesus has said, get out of the church. Step two, be reconciled to that person. That's how important Jesus places, that's how much priority Jesus places on this reconciliation. 
to leave your sacrifice here, leave your worship here, get to that person and make things right with them. But then step three, get me back in the good books with the elders, get back to church. (laughs) Come back and worship and bring your sacrifices to God. Twenty five and twenty six. He goes on When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. In the day of Jesus, people that didn't pay their debts. Um, didn't get a notice and saying you need to pay $10 instalments over the next 12 months. They just got taken to prison and they stayed there until their debt was paid. Some people stayed in prison for the rest of their life because their debt was never paid. And Jesus' point, settle your differences quickly. If you're off to court because, because of, the, of something that's been said or because of anger issues and, and, you, and you're off to court because of, uh, uh, to settle, to, sorry, you're off to court because something needs to be settled between you and an adversary, then do it before it gets to court, before you face all the red tape, before you have to deal with officers and prison. Settle your differences quickly. Don't let it get to court. Be generous. Be even gracious in your efforts to settle your differences quickly. And this is implied when he says in verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly. The the word translated agree means to be well disposed towards someone. Don't be hard-nosed and stubborn. Go the extra mile. Don't allow anger to smoulder and grow. Settle your differences quickly. Don't let anger go unresolved in relationships. It is crucial. It's crucial because it is our calling to live godly and holy lives. That we would be light and salt in a dark and deteriorating world. Go the extra mile to achieve reconciliation and we look at it in a few weeks. If it means turning the other cheek, then do it. If it means giving someone more than what they deserve, then do it. While some may ridicule and some will reject, But by you seeking out reconciliation, by you seeking that out, you are being obedient to God and not only being obedient to what God has required of you but you are allowing God in that situation to use you to reach out to others because you never know who's watching and who's listening. Verse 27 and 28. 
You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it goes on there. The the principle that we just spoke about continues here with adultery. That adultery is sin, yes, but adultery is an external act, an external act of an internal problem, an internal sin, which is lust. You are in sin if you lust. You might not think there are really any consequences, are there, if I look at this or I look at that person in a sexual way. But Jesus' teaching is quite plain. You do that. You have committed adultery in your heart. You're no better than the one who has jumped into bed with another man's wife or another man's, another wife's husband. This is not just a talk for men. Before God we have fallen short of his glorious and perfect standard by the way that we think and our inner desire. 2 Samuel 11 is a well-known story of David and Bathsheba. Um, Just verses 2 to 4. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking along the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. David already in the wrong mindset. King of Israel did not go to war with his army, stayed back in the palace. So it gives me the hint that he's already not in the correct mindset of where he should be in the correct headspace. And there he is on the rooftop looking out and he sees a beautiful woman naked having a bath. So what does he do next? He, obviously a man of God's own heart, would quickly turn away and go down and find out perhaps about how the army are going with the Ammonites. He didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. You can imagine David on that rooftop with his heart racing as he looked down on that woman and that he continually to look, continued to look and the thoughts that were racing through his mind were not about what's happening with the army, what's happening with the nation of Israel They were focused in on what's happening with this woman. So he sent someone to find out who she was 
and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You see the process that David was on his rooftop and he looked down and the thoughts started to race through his mind and so those thought process, the thoughts that were in his mind led to him doing something about it. And that external act instantly was to send someone to find out who is she first. And it continues and it, and it, and it rolls on. Then David sent messengers to get her and when she came to the palace he slept with her. You see, David still had that opportunity where in his mind he was thinking things he shouldn't have been. He sent the messenger, he found out who she was, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite and he still had a choice to make but his mind was gone thinking about all sorts of things he could do with her and it was he just couldn't stop the external act from following on from the things that he was thinking and instead of saying oh what am I thinking I need to go before the Lord and confess these thoughts he allowed the thoughts to manifest into an external act and he sent people again to bring her to the palace and he slept with her. Jesus sees this as an extreme problem because his response to lust is extreme. Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. It paints this picture that it's much better for you to be without a hand or to only have one eye than it is for your inner purity to be tarnished with sin or for your whole self to end up in the rubbish dump which is the valley of Hinnom, hell. And this morning maybe you need to be honest with yourself and do something extreme in your life. It might be extreme. It might only be something minor but there might be something that needs to change. Jesus' teaching is a call to holy living. It's a call to internal purity. What is the cost going to be? What is the cost going to be for you and me? If it's better to lose a body part and be internally pure, then we need to ask ourselves what really do I need to rid myself of? What change do I really need to make? And it might sound extreme, the first thing that comes into your mind. 
you might think, oh, no, that's way too big. I mean, it would help, but no. Just place it into comparison to the extreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Then you might think it's actually not that extreme. If I just give up this, maybe if I change that, if I stop doing this, internal purity. Philippians 4.8 Fix your thoughts on what is true, honourable, right, pure, lovely and admirable. God isn't interested in what you can do but firstly and mostly important he's interested in your heart and your mind. Romans 12.2 says allow God to transform you by changing not the way you talk not by changing how many things you do here on a Sunday. Not allowing God to transform you by changing how well you do in business or in life. But allow God to transform you by changing the way that you think. Don't believe the lie that you can think whatever you like and it won't affect the way that you live. God's challenge is that he wants you, not challenge, his call on your life is that he wants you to become like him. And it's not something that starts externally, it starts internally and it starts with every thought that we have. Will you bow your heads and I want to give just a moment before we go out into the week just between you and God there are things that no one not even your partner will probably know about that you might need to bring before God today and just say I need this thing that might seem extreme that might seem extreme but really God in the comparing it to the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ it's minor but it's going to lead me to internal purity and that's what I want will you just take a moment now before we close in prayer to spend time with your God
and God, you know each and every one of our hearts. You look deep into each and every one of us and know every thought that we've ever had. We sit here really internally naked in front of you and we can only come to one conclusion that we are in desperate need of your help. Would it be our desire to give to you everything we have? To change the way that we live by the way that we think? Take control of our minds as we go from this place, Lord, that our lives would be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and be salt and light in this world. Pray your blessing upon these people as we face this week. In Jesus' name.